the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. You're listening to Pure Opelka. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Happy Friday. I wanted to come here screaming, Happy Friday! But I just... It's just gotten ridiculous. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I'm, I'm just about to throw my hands in the air like I just don't care and say, stop it, people. Stop, stop, stop the stupid. Really, stop the stupid. I think America as a nation is stuck on stupid. What? Yeah, I know. I, I know about the monuments. Yes, I know about somebody in Chicago torched a statue, a, a bust of Abraham freaking Lincoln. Because racism. Abraham Lincoln. Okay, that was enough to put me into the screaming mood today. That was enough to set me off this morning. And I have a host of other things to get to. I have to talk about terrorism. I have to talk about what we do and don't know about the the giant knife attack in Finland. I have to talk about the fact that an American was killed in the terror attack in Barcelona yesterday. People from 24 countries among the hundreds injured. And then I have to deal with all the stuff about all these monuments being talked about, being torn down. And why now? Why now? What suddenly triggered the entire nation's conscience to light up and say, we got to take down all these things that have attachments to slavery and the Civil War? We must get rid of them. We cannot have them around because they make us feel uncomfortable. And now I read the it's probably the most ridiculous story because when you hear this story, you're going to say, oh, really, we've solved all the other problems in New York City. So now we're going to finally get down to this one. Really, we've we've gotten everything else under control. The runaway spending, the crazy progressive takeover. The the patronage and the abuse of the system by the people in charge. I'm talking Democrats because there are no Republicans really on the island of Manhattan or in the five boroughs. You wouldn't have to take your your socks off to count them. Now the, the latest story is the New York City subway system is going to remove some tiles from one subway stop. They're going to remove some tiles from a subway stop because they look, they look like a Confederate flag. They look like a Confederate flag. Are you kidding me? Seriously, are you, are you, this, this is somebody, where are the cameras? Somebody is punking somebody. The MTA, which is the group that runs 
The never-on-time, always-overcrowded, currently a mess, Metropolitan Transit Authority announced Thursday it's going to be removing a tile pattern that passengers complained looked like a Confederate flag. Now, first of all, if you're walking around the Times Square subway station there on 42nd Street, and you're not watching out for all the idiots on the, on the platform, if you're looking up, as you must have to do, at this section of the tile, which has a red rectangle with two blue lines running through on diagonals. Now, to me, if you look at this, Jesus, I can't, I can't even believe this is a thing. If you look at this, it appears that these are probably like train lines, maybe, because, you know, you're on a subway and it's underground and there's a network of rails going back and forth through the subway. You're on a subway, but no, because, because there's a red rectangle or a square, and then there are these blue tiles, and they're not even all blue. There are no stars because of this. We're now going to spend God knows how much money to take this down and, and remove it. Because somebody complained that it reminded them remotely of what could be considered the Confederate flag. We've lost our minds. We have lost our, our stinking minds. We, we are going to New York. You've solved every other problem. Obviously, there are no more rats in the subway. There are no more homeless people who need your attention in the subway. There are no more crazy people running around the streets of New York. And because Bill de Blasio told cops, we're not going to roust people who pee on the streets anymore, the city is starting to smell like a junior high school urinal. You know, the one that's broken all the time and never flushes. Thank you, Mayor de Blasio, on these warm and humid days for reducing the quality of life. And we know that the money you've saved rousting all of the pot smokers and the street peers is now being saved so you can spend it to chisel out the allegedly confederate flag looking tiles in the times square subway station it's insane it truly is insane and this guy this de blasio who where where the hell is he standing up and saying Look, this is obviously not a Confederate flag. Somebody mistakes it for that. We're not going to waste money on it. Where is the leadership? Where is the adult in the room? No, instead, we're going to coddle people and go, no, I'm sorry. We're sorry. We're so because you know if it didn't get removed, somebody would sue the city. And the city would, would get its lawyers involved and say, well, you know, we could defend this. And it's obviously not a Confederate flag, but uh, we better settle because it's going to cost us. Uh, it's going to cost us about two million dollars to defend the suit. So why don't we uh, settle? Why don't we offer them a half million? And that's the way New York City works. That's the way America works. We don't stand up for right anymore. We don't stand up for sanity anymore. Oh, man. There is so much to do and fix and, and we are listening to the tears of immature 
idiots who see. I'm, I'm going to tweet out a link to this. We, we have lost our minds. The Confederate flag-looking tiles need to be removed from the subway. And you know it's going to be, there. first of all, we need to do a study on how to remove them. And then we're going to have to have a competition to design the replacement. So that's going to cost money. And then there's going to be a, a, a union crew that's going to set up a barrier around it because we're going to need scaffolding to get up there because it's over six feet above the ground. Which, again, reminds me, why the hell did somebody even notice this and focus on it? It's, it's above where the eye line is. Anyway, it's up near the ceiling. We have lost our way. We have lost our minds. And we're about to lose our country. If somebody doesn't stand up and actually start using the words that typically come out of the mouth of a child, the first words that a child learns, the very first one that most kids learn is no. It would be great if somebody in charge would hearken back to their childhood and, and use the word no. That we just need to stop. We need to stop. You know, the, the amazing thing in all of this, and we'll get to the monuments because we have to talk about the monuments. They want anybody who was ever involved in or has a history of a family member who was involved in slave trade, which was horrible, but it hasn't happened in our lives it hasn't happened to the people who are screaming about it. It hasn't happened under the watch of Republicans. I saw a meme yesterday that makes a whole bunch of sense. But it's not just black people who want these things taken down. But this meme says, blacks who were never slaves fighting whites who were never Nazis over a statue erected by Democrats. And it's Donald Trump's fault. And I look at all this and I and I'm I just wonder how much longer America will hold under this. I wonder how much longer the seams will hold under this kind of idiotic pressure. None of it makes sense, especially when you think that some of the people who want the elimination of symbols of slavery and segregation were themselves advocating for segregation just last spring. Do we not recall the students who were saying we would like black-only dorms because culture can't be appropriated and we need to be, have our own space? Do you remember the schools that asked for that? We would like classes where whites are not permitted to come in and study the same stuff. It is segregation, and yet these are the same people who want elimination of those people who were slave owners and segregationists. Does nobody see the crazy, insane comedy in all of this? It is time we started saying no. Enough is enough. Basta. 
It's 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 astounding. I know it's the first block of the show, and I've already, I'm way off the rails. I'm way out of control. I and it's a Friday. We're supposed to have fun today, right? Yes. Triple eight nine hundred three three nine three eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. I have some things to share with you. Billy Hallowell is going to join us for a faith lift. He's got to get the kid to the doctor. So instead of one thirty, he's going to be here at. Uh, 1230 Eastern. Always happy to get Billy Hallowell to join the show. We might hear from Emily Zanotti today. She's landed in a new a new place, and there allegedly is an update on her book. We need to have a little fantasy time and uh, think about what we would buy with uh, the winning Powerball ticket since tomorrow. tomorrow. Tomorrow's Powerball is going to be in excess of $530 million. That's a whole lot of money. Amy Schumer was on Judge Judy yesterday. I know what? I I did a double take. And for those of you that don't know, yes, I watch Judge Judy. How do you think I understand the law so darn well? I just happen to be a fan and she was a neighbor and we had the same agent for a while. So I'm connected. But uh, I get we have to talk about that, too. If you. If you want to join the conversation, 888-900-3393, Dallas is whispering in my ear, you name dropper. Well, if I actually knew her and we were friends, she'd call, but she's not because she's just somebody who had the same representation. Obviously, very different results. <laughs> we'll take a break and come on back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. You know, I I wish there were a relief factor for the stress and tension I feel when I get off on those rants. Thankfully, relief factor works on the irritation in my joints, but I wish it extended to the nerve system. (laughs) My God, thank God for relief factor. I use relief factor and I talk about it all the time on this show. If you want to know about it, go to relieffactor.com. It is a uh, natural mixture. It's botanicals and fish oils, and it's pre-packaged, so you can pick it up, take it, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And what it does in my body and, and most people it works for, it reduces the inflammation around the joints, which reduces the irritation, which eliminates the pain. So for me, it's been a game changer. It's gotten me back into a more active lifestyle. And now every morning I get up and I look forward to going for that two-mile speed walk. Thank you, Relief Factor. If you want to check it out, go to relieffactor.com or pick up the phone and call them and tell them you want to try the three-week quick start pack. It's, it's so easy to do. It's under 20 bucks. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee a day for three weeks. So relieffactor.com or pick up the phone and call them at 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384.
You know, I was talking with a friend of mine who is in the talk radio business in San Antonio, a guy named Charlie Parker. Charlie is on a big station in South Texas just before Glenn Beck's show. And um, we were betting on whether or not Steve Bannon survives the week. And we both thought Friday. This was Monday we were talking. We both thought Friday would be the day. And it appears, it appears that that might happen. There is a big meeting going on as we speak at Camp David in Maryland. And I watched the president and Air Force One fly from uh, New York to, to uh, Maryland to where then they jumped on Marine One to take him out to Camp David. I'm glad to see we're using Camp David. I think Obama went there once or twice, and Bill Clinton went there not so much. But it, it's supposed to be a beautiful place, even though it's hopelessly stuck in the 50s. But I'd love to see Camp David. The meeting going on allegedly about our war strategy, supposedly the National Security Council, the President's Council dealing with matters like this, gathered together in, in advance of whatever changes we're making in how we are attacking the enemy in Afghanistan, but also preparing for the joint exercises in, um, in the Far East this, this coming week, as we in South Korea have these annual joint exercises that will irritate the hell out of the little fat guy in North Korea. But the word bubbling around the White House is that um, this could be the day that Bannon bolts and I don't think he will go quietly. That's all I'm saying. I think, I think Bannon is, uh, has already planned for this. I think he anticipated this a long time ago. So um, I'm just saying be ready. Be ready for uh, any kind of craziness after Steve Bannon leaves. The good news is it looks like one of the president's economic advisors, uh, Gary Cohn, is staying. He has been telling the press that despite rumors to the contrary, those rumors are 100% false and he is staying. And maybe there was a negotiated settlement whereby one stays and one goes. And I think this is important. I think the, the reaction of the stock market to the rumors of... Uh, the, the breakdown in the president's economic council and then the possible departure of key players like like Mr. Cohn were, uh, were shocking the markets. We saw a massive dip in the market yesterday, and then this morning it was down, but it's almost back to a level position. So I think that's good news. I'm not a fan of Stephen Bannon. That's not been a secret. And I think any kind of stability and consistency in the White House combined with a little more transparency would be a great thing. So I, I, hope, I hope Charlie Park and I were right this Monday when we called Friday would be the end. We'll see. Uh, I think we've got a faith lift teed up next. Billy Hallowell from Faithwire joining the conversation. It's always fun, and some silliness will happen. And we do have to get to uh, Plumcots. 
Have you tried a plum cot? They're delicious. Frankenfruits on the show today. Come on back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back. Happy Friday. And I say that with all due snark. Happy Friday. It's a difficult Friday. It is a difficult Friday. We're having I'm having a tough time today. I've already had one mini rant about this stupid story out of New York City where the city's actually going to spend money to take out some tiles because somebody thinks somebody thinks they look like they look like a Confederate flag if you squint and stand on your head and spin yourself around nine times and don't eat for a week. We've lost our flipping minds. And that the only the only thing we can do after that is to go to something that is that is consistent, that is that is comforting. I'm not talking about Twinkies and beer, although the sound of that combination after 12 o'clock here on the East Coast is tempting. No, it's our Friday faith lift. Billy Hallowell from Faithwire, former colleague of mine at The Blaze, but he has remained a friend nonetheless, joins us on a semi-regular basis to try and help us make sense of the world. Billy, you're a guy in New York. You're constantly in the, um, in the, uh, the subway. You've been in Times Square at that subway station. Did you ever look up and see, oh, my God, it could almost be a Confederate flag in the tile? No, but I'm also not somebody who looks for things to be offended by. And I'm also not somebody who really gets offended when I see things. Now, everybody has their triggers, right? There's things that annoy us all. I, but I have never once looked at that tile and thought, oh, there's a Confederate flag. It just hasn't crossed my mind. We are we are a country that is losing its mind. I mean, across the board. And I think this. I feel like we get over one hurdle and we think, okay, that crisis is over, that drama is over, that debate, that battle is over, and we're already into the next one. And so it's it's become exhausting for people, I think. And I think everybody's feeling that. Yet the chaos is not ceasing. Do you, as the father of two young children? Do you do you ever look at at how we're acting and go this is these are like a bunch of a bunch of toddlers who are incapable of dealing with life and no parent is telling them no cuz that's what it feels like to me the word no has been expunged from the uh vocabulary of the people we charge with leading our lives Absolutely. No. And, and I think, you know, I think conservatives were really hard on Obama and many times rightfully so, uh, because when you're president, you're in the position to sort of take the reins and at least set a tone. And time and time again, so many people were frustrated that they felt Obama wasn't setting the tone. And then we had two candidates in 2016 
who were horrific at setting the tone and who were, it was like having, and I tell this joke all the time and everybody laughs at me because it's such an evangelical Christian joke, but it was like Gog and Magog were running against each other and we, we were going to end up with one of them. And now we have one. And I was really hopeful that he would, he would set a better tone. And I know some people, you know, I, I, this isn't about being pro-Trump or anti-Trump. The reality is the president sets the tone and society and culture are in chaos. And I think the president is in chaos and it's not, it's not helping. I mean, there's there's nobody out there who is being an adult, not in the middle of a tantrum, leading us in some sort of positive direction. And that's really problematic. And it's what we cover every day at Faithwire. I mean, we're covering these stories. We're trying to find the positive. And there is a lot of positive out there, but you've got to look for it. We're not seeing the people who matter stand up and say the right things that are going to unite us or at least put some fires out. Well, I, you know, you bring up a good point, and you also smoothly brought in a lovely plug to get us on, focused on the stories <laughs> that you want to talk about. But I have to, I have to warn you, the, the Christian comedian thing, it's, I think you just need to leave that to the professionals. I think you just need to, the Gog and Magog joke. I, it's, <laughs> a, it's a year old. I can't stop. <laughs> yeah, I, can't stop. I, I know. Uh, I wanted to talk about something, and you brought it up when you sent me a note this morning. Um, there's a brand new stadium going up in Atlanta, in the George, Atlanta, Georgia area. They're building one of these billion dollar monstrosities that will be a temple to all things sports. And in stadiums now, they're not just places where games are played, they're malls. There's restaurants, there's stores to buy junk. And it's in like the airport. stadium, yeah. they're putting a Chick fil A. And oh, yes. The professional football team, the Atlanta Falcons, will play in that stadium. Now, you're yep. Chick-fil-A, and you're putting a football team, you're putting a, stadium, a, a restaurant in the new stadium, but the games are mostly played on Sunday when Chick-fil-A is closed. That's going to tick me off. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is here's the thing. There's two elements here. And I think in our headline, we said, you know, the NFL, NFL fans might be a little conflicted if you're a Christian, uh, because Chick-fil-A is a Christian company. We know this. They have always been close since 1946. And I have to hand it to them. It's pretty amazing that from 1946 to today, they've kept that tradition. They leave Chick-fil-A closed. They give all the staff that day to, to not be there. And they do that so that if you choose to, you can go to church. But they, they've wanted to respect that. The founder, Truett Cathy, put that policy in again in 1946, and it continues. And they're not going to sacrifice that or change it on Sundays, even at a game. And I can't tell you how many times. And by the way, the Falcons, I think they play seven home games, at least seven home games yeah. in that stadium next season. And you've got other events, too. It's not just the NFL. You know, there's stadiums are used for other things. So every Sunday it gets so annoying when I'm in the airport and I'm dying to eat something. And I go and I look and it's like, oh. Chick-fil-A is closed. It happens to me all the time. But as frustrating as it is, there's this element of respect. I mean, think about how much money they're potentially sacrificing not being open on that day. It's pretty amazing. It is, it is amazing, Billy. But because of the way my mind works, I have a proposal. And perhaps since you have had contact with the Chick-fil-A upper deck over the years that we've known each other and you've covered stories on Chick-fil-A, perhaps you can get us in. And I will cut you in on the deal if they bite. Here's, here's my plan. And uh, just follow me on this. Go with me on this. Chick-fil-A still stays closed on Sunday to all the, all the believers, all of the, 
all of the folks who are working there who want to have the Sabbath off. But what if we open up Chick Fil Atheists and we we have just for one day? It's only Sundays. All the people who work there are non-believers, and then you can also have people who are hungry for Chick Fil A. They can come in on Chick Fil Atheist Day. It's it's going to be just one day a week. We're talking about fifty-two opportunities a year. And I'll guarantee you they'll make money. And instead of Bible verses on the bottom of your, like, burger packages and your cups, you could put Richard Dawkins quotes. It'll be great. Absolutely. See, this is, this is how America embraces capitalism and, and says we can respect people who don't believe as much as we can respect people who do believe. Chick philatheist. It's, I'm telling you, it's, it's got to happen. We could, like, where, where do you even come up with this stuff? I feel like it is, it doesn't even, there's no process. It just happens. It's like magic. I think this is a good business plan. You know, it will help us make America great again. You should, you should contact Donald Trump. Well, I need you to get me in the door at Chick-fil-A because we'll get, we'll get this done. And I'm sure, I'm sure they'll look at this and initially they'll bite and, and throw us back. But you know, well, we can work on this. Now, you also had a story that I saw on Faithwire uh, titled How One Group is Secretly Smuggling Scripture. And, and now th- there still are places in the world where you have to smuggle religious texts oh, yeah. into certain countries, which surprises the hell out of me because I, I would think the Internet would, would open things up. But you're talking about North Korea. And first of all, there is no Internet unless you're Kim Jong-un and the immediate family. But how are they doing this? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. They've been doing this since 1991. It's a group. Not all of them have made their names public, but they basically go about four miles from the border and they inflate these balloons with helium. And it's it's sort of a simple process, but it's kind of creative. They have a little hole and basically they in the balloon, they send the balloon over with the book of Mark inside of it. And the balloons, as they go over the border, they eventually descend on their own. And that little hole lets some of the helium out. And the goal is to get those balloons to the people in North Korea who might be Christians or who might be interested in faith to let them know, hey, we're praying for you. Here's some scripture. And you know, there's no other way to get – you can't get Bibles into North Korea. It's almost impossible. So I just find it hilarious that for decades now these balloons have been floating over. And not just hilarious in, in like a flippant way, but it's just such an amazing way to get the gospel sort of over the border and hopefully encouraging people. And look, as we know, it is North Korea, Open Doors USA tells us it is the most restrictive, the worst place in the world to live as a Christian. You'll be steamrolled. You'll be killed. You'll be put in camps. But that has not stopped Christianity from growing um, inside the country. And I think that's a powerful testament to, to the power of Christianity. But you have groups like this trying to help get the word out. Don't you, don't you worry that by getting this word out like this, that now the border guards will start shooting down balloons? You know, I don't know. They've been doing it for so long that my assumption is— you know, they haven't either they don't know about it in North Korea or they can't stop. I know this particular group also has a radio station that they put out and they have said, you know, they put it out into North Korea that the government in North Korea has tried to jam up the signals, but they've always found ways around it. So not only are they sending balloons over, but they're sending radio messages and church services over to North Korea and huh. the people there want it. 
Um, so I, I think it's fascinating. It shows you that you can try to keep something out, uh, but that doesn't always work. And I think with, with Christianity, it's been 2,000 years of that. So, so it's, uh, it's sort of fascinating. It's an amazing and ingenious story. And real quickly, I've got about a minute left. The, the Chris Pratt story, where are we on that story? You know, I, people, a lot of Christians are judging him, going after him, because he said that thing at the Teen Choice Awards about his faith and about Jesus, saying, how dare you, you're getting divorced. And you know, where we are on that is that Christians just need to realize they don't know the details of the guy's marriage and that they should probably spend time praying for him instead of judging him, since we don't know why they're getting separated, he and Anna Ferris. So that's kind of where we are. And we've got an op-ed over at faithwire.com you can check out and, and read where I kind of broke that down, because I've been a little frustrated seeing the judgment coming from people. I understand. His name is Billy Hallowell. He is a friend of mine and a friend of this show. And you can find him on faithwire.com with uh, great information almost every day. And I think he takes the Sabbath off. But uh, with any luck, Billy and I are going to get rich on Chick-fil-A Atheist, the new chicken sandwiches available on Sundays. But thank you, my friend. We might end up going to hell, but we'll get rich. But we'll be so busy shaking hands with our friends, we won't but miss the, the heat will not bother us. It will not. It will not. Chris Field in particular. We'll spend a lot of time with him. Well, he's the gatekeeper down there. So, you know, <laughs> have a great uh, weekend, my friend. <laughs> you too. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Your Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. How great is it that Buck Sexton is now live again on the Blaze Radio Network uh, daily, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, back in the Freedom Hut and Commie Bear making the occasional appearance. I love that. I love I love being part of this lineup with uh, with Buck at the at the anchor position, keeping us locked in. And when Buck says shields high, for those of you who've wondered, what does testudo mean? Testudo is shields high. The testudo maneuver was what the, uh, the Roman army did. Somebody would yell, testudo! And all the guys would come together in one pile of humanity and then put their shields together, lock them over their heads, creating an impenetrable barrier. Easy for you to say. And uh, testudo is kind of like a tortoise, tortoise shell. And if you think of that, that image comes to mind. So that's why we hold our shields high. And that's why we say testudo. Now, we at the early part of the show, uh, very much uh, beginning of the show, we talked about the possibility that Stephen Bannon, the president's chief strategist, might be out. The New York Times is now reporting what what Charlie Parker and I bet would happen this week by Friday, Trump tells aides he has decided to remove Stephen K. Bannon. Now, I think this is the problem. Bannon, Bannon needs to have the tightest separation agreement ever, ever given to anybody. Like, he can't talk to anybody. for They got to give him... 
give him a golden parachute that says you can you can go, but you can't say anything. You would think, but I still doubt that'll happen. So chief strategist Stephen Bannon, breaking news out. And I do think this is a good sign. And apparently Wall Street does, too, because the market was in a dive after yesterday and uh, after the news of Stephen Bannon leaving and the news that uh, the president's economic advisors aren't leaving. It looks like the market has turned and gone back to the positive direction. The Nasdaq and the Dow Jones are all in positive territory right now. You know, we took a 200 and what was it, 270 point hit yesterday. So uh, this is good news. I, I think ultimately this is very good news. Next hour, um, we have to talk about tweeting. Tweeting and driving, it's a dangerous thing. We also have eclipse tips, and I have to address some of the issues of terrorism. Don't forget Amy Schumer, a history lesson, Powerball, Emily Zanotti. Whew, we got a full list. Come on back after the break. This is Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka only on the Blaze Radio Network. Substitution, substitution. Stephen Bannon is a scratch. Stephen Bannon is a scratch from the White House. Chief strategist Stephen Bannon is out. Oh, boy. Big news out of Washington, D.C. today or out of Camp David, depending on your point of view. A White House official is telling all the news media that Donald Trump, the president, was furious that Bannon contradicted him on North Korea. And I'm sure the generals didn't like that either. So Stephen K. Bannon, the chief strategist, the guy who came from Breitbart, and Breitbart Radio, and before that, Golden Slacks, as they call Goldman Sachs, is out as chief strategist under the Trump administration. Now, there was just a picture published on, um, on the Twitter showing President Trump at the Resolute desk with Vice President Pence sitting across from him, but surrounding Pence were guys that are no longer in the White House. Reince Priebus is gone. Stephen Bannon is gone. Sean Spicer, gone. This is a big change. This, this is huge news. Now, I never thought that the Bannon-Priebus equal sharing of the leadership roles in the White House was a good thing. You just can't have two... Two different leaders. You can't have two steering wheels in the car. It makes for a, a, difficult, a difficult journey at best. There's also news that uh, the president's, uh, another advisor, Sebastian Gorka, is next to go. That they expect there will be 
more more shakeups as the White House is realigned under the guise of General Kelly. Now we're seeing all kinds of stuff happening today. So we will we will watch as all of this unfolds. Uh, I think uh, there's also news that um, that Bannon is is going to go uh, not nuclear, but Bannon may be going after some of the people who've been after the president. Now I I can't I can't say for sure, but that's what's out there. Uh, I have to I have to again salute this audience as our one of our Twitter buddies, one of the vast and unpaid resource department microaggressor, follows the the fake North Korean news <laughs> account. And if you guys don't follow this account, you should. It's <laughs> it's a great account. And some people have thought it was a real account. It's not a real account. The DPRK News Service at DPRK underscore news. It's a fake, fake account, but it's all, always got some clever stuff on it. Cites uh, Donald Trump senior strategist Stephen Bannon resigns citing need to spend more time with his family, his cocaine, and his Thunderbird wine. Okay, that's funny stuff. I don't care who you are. Even if you're a friend of Bannon's, you, you can laugh at that. We have to be able to laugh at that. So big change today. Big change on this Friday. You want to discuss? You want to have any kind of input on this? 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. I think, I think the biggest thing in the president's cutting of Stephen Bannon was the contradiction on North Korea. The president was feeling pretty good from every, every angle I could see it reported. The president was feeling pretty darn strong about the resolution of the initial tension on North Korea. Now, next week, as we have joint military exercises in the South Pacific and in the area around Korea and Japan, there are going to be tensions picking up a little bit. But initially, the president diffused it. And I do believe if you listen to this radio show last week, you heard me say on more than one occasion, it was the triangulation of the secretary of state and the Secretary of Defense and the President who backed Kim Jong-un into a place where he could only tone it down. And I thought it was a, a really smart strategy. No one's given them credit for that. It's one of the few accomplishments that I believe this White House deserves. And now this to me is a good sign. This change, the removal of Steve Bannon, the removal of Reince Priebus, the installation of one voice as the filter to the president, I think is the most significant move in the, in the short history of this White House and this presidency. So I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. I'm kind of very happy about that. Let's... Uh, Let's see what else we know today. Still trying to get a, a real report on the situation in Finland where there were several people stabbed by a guy with a big knife. The initial report 
was this guy went up to a woman who was pushing a baby in a carriage and started stabbing. So you might think initially, well, is this uh, is this a jilted lover? And then the the attacker started stabbing other people. We're still waiting to get more information on that. We also know that after we talked to uh, Ryan Morrow yesterday uh, about the attack in Barcelona, that he said, watch Watch for other other attacks after this. Watch for this to trigger other attacks. And lo and behold, we saw two more. And we saw the Spanish police take out these guys. If you watched any of the videos, you heard you heard the gunshots. And my God, the people were right there. This could have been a lot worse. The initial attack was horrible. As we now have 14 people, including at least one American. 14 people dead, and we have over 100 injured in the hospital. I believe 18 to 20 of those are still in critical condition. So we'll keep an eye on all of that. I don't think we're out of the woods in any way, shape, or form in terms of those terror attacks. And as I watched the terror attacks yesterday, and I started reading the list of all of the recent attacks that involved automobiles, trucks, or cars. The two on the bridge in London. The one in Charlottesville last week. The one in Spain. The one in Germany. The one in Sweden. All involved automobiles. Suddenly, in the back of my head, I had, I had a prompting saying, pay attention to this. This will be used. Remember, never let a... Uh, a tragedy go to waste. This will be used to push forward at a faster pace than anyone can ever understand the need for self-driving cars. I know, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Follow me on this. Every time we've heard the reporting in the last day and a half about, about the situation in Barcelona, about the situation in, in Charlottesville, the bridge attacks in London, we kept hearing, it's so easy to get a car. It takes almost no planning. And there's almost no way to have checkpoints to stop and detect who's a possible terrorist or not. It requires almost no training to operate the car. So this situation of these multiple attacks, over a dozen in the last year and a half, I believe, Hundreds killed, scores injured. There's no real way to stop it unless you do one thing, and that's remove the driver. Remove the opportunity of the driver. You can't just take cars off the road, but you can work to push forward as fast as possible the elimination of the human element, the elimination of the one part of that car that kills people. That's the driver. So unless you're Stephen King and Christine is the car, or unless you're a 1970s made-for-TV movie fan and you remember the classic Carl Betts horrible film called Killdozer, the, the biggest problem in, in these attacks and the easiest way to stop these attacks is to simply remove the opportunity for someone to drive the car. So... Humans 
at the controls of automobiles, I could see three to five years that going away completely. And as such, it totally eliminates this this opportunity for terrorists to attack by using something with four wheels or 12 or 16, whatever you've got, a big, a big uh, automobile or truck. I know it sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? But that's the way my crazy mind thinks. Is that the only way to stop this? And if you you watch you watch the coverage all day yesterday, no matter what network you turned on, whether it was Fox or CNN or MSNBC or your local station, they all talked about. Every single one of them talked about the fact that it's just so easy. The terrorist playbook says, get a bomb. If you can't get a bomb, get a gun. If you can't get a gun, get a knife. If you can't get a knife, get a car. That's the easiest thing to do. You eliminate the people and you eliminate the chance for the car to commit murder. Just a simple extension. When we get back... uh, Boy, I got news, uh, not only news on, you know Bannon's out. They posted the note that today would be his last day that uh, John Kelly announced that. He's gone. Goodbye. There's other news happening. There's Anthony Weiner news. There is Elizabeth Warren news. There is Twitter news that I have to get to. We got to talk about tweeting and driving because I think I got a problem with some of you people who want to tweet and drive. Some of you people want to tweet and drive at really high speeds. We'll get into all that just around the corner on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, Piero Pelka. We are just watching the day's events unfold and sharing some observations and commentary on this Friday. If you want to join the conversation, the phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. Steve Bannon is out. Who's next? White House Chief Strategist. Stephen Bannon is out. And does he go back? To Breitbart, does he go back to his daily radio show on Sirius XM? Today is his last day. Who's next? Who's next? We'll watch indeed. We will watch as this happens. Uh, Still to come today, we're going to talk about the eclipse. Dr. Rick Feinberg uh, has some tips. Um, Yes, if you were watching Amy... Schumer yesterday on Judge Judy or what you thought was Amy Schumer. See, I watched Judge Judy unabashedly because ever since I read Don't Pee on My Leg and Tell Me It's Raining, I was a fan. Judge Judy in the early mid-90s came out with this book of just common sense. She was not a TV judge at the time. She was a 
family court judge in New York who had written a book called Don't Pee on My Leg and Tell Me It's Raining. And it was great advice. And somebody said, hold on a second, as she was doing television appearances, and said, this lady is a show. And so before you knew it, Judge Judy was born. Probably the most successful court reality show and, and probably more successful than all the rest combined. And there are a whole bunch of them. People's Court, Judge, Jane, Judge uh, Marilyn Millian, Judge Roy, Joe Brown. There's a, there's a bunch of them. Judy makes for her show, which I think the people on that show work about 35 weeks a year. Judy makes $50 million for that show. They just signed a deal to sell the 20-plus years of Judge Judy in syndication. All of those shows. And she was doing, I think it was close to whatever that is, 39 times 5. 200. 200 shows a year. Over 20 years. That's a whole bunch of shows. They sold them into syndication and uh, one of the people who I know and respect in the television world called it the Seinfeld of syndication deals for reality TV. That means Judge Judy is about to get paid Seinfeld money. This is big money. As if 50 million bucks a year to work 35 weeks a year wasn't enough. But, you know, for all the years she put in family court, I have to respect Judge Judy's wisdom. And I appreciate her. I go to Judge Judy Law School every day I can here at 4 o'clock after this show, just so you know. Her book, though, Don't Pee on My Leg and Tell Me It's Raining, was followed by the second book, which is equally as entertaining, Beauty Fades, Dumb as Forever. So if you're looking for a, a book to give a young person to teach them how to live a realistic life, Two books, Don't Pee on My Leg and Tell Me It's Raining and Beauty Fades, Dumb as Forever, Judge Judith Scheindlin. Now, I was talking about Twitter before. Uh, I'm a social media guy. I have to try and actually consciously put the phone out of reach when I'm driving because I will be tempted. And I don't think it's a good idea to be tweeting or texting if you're behind the wheel of the car, let's face it, 6,000 pounds of metal moving down the road at high speeds, not a good idea to be distracted. But now Twitter has announced that they're going to get into live sports streaming. And they have this deal that's going to bring in-car NASCAR race cameras to 328 million Twitter users. I don't know about this because, you know, you know that there's going to be a temptation to tweet along right now. These are just going to be cameras that you're going to be able to view them. You're going to be able to view them. But how long before fans are going to be able to send messages back to their favorite drivers? You know, this is coming. Do we really think this is a good idea? Do we really think it's a smart idea to be able to message not, it's not happening yet, but you know at NASCAR, 
and nascar.twitter.com that this is coming. See, I suspect this is partially because NASCAR's had a little bit of a little bit of a slowdown, a fallout of late. Not quite as popular as it was before. But just uh, just be advised. Cameras in the car, we've seen them already, but now you'll be you will be able to access them through Twitter and I'm sure they're going to eventually make this a two-way street and we'll be seeing more more from from Twitter and NASCAR in the future. Got a couple other crazy stories I need to get to today. Uh, I want to do a uh, a little bit of history today because as as uh, as we're talking about the Nazi story and the neo Nazis, I I go back and look at moments of uh, Adolf Hitler's horrific rule in Germany and his attempt at global domination. And one of the things that's in there is was the eugenics that Hitler learned from Margaret Sanger. And Hitler's euthanasia program is something we need to talk about. I'll explain what I mean after the break. Come on back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka with Mike Opelka. It is pure Opelka. It is a Friday. As such, I, I have said all topics are on the table. Phones are open. 888-900-3393. Phil from New Hampshire is checking in. Hey, Phil. Happy Friday. Hey, Mike. Uh, thank you for taking my call. And sorry, while well, I put my phone on regular instead of speaking. I'm going to drop what I'm doing. I'm cutting boards. Uh, You're cutting boards? Yeah, I'm cutting boards and nailing them back up. Good. uh, I wonder, this might, (laughs) how you're going to hammer me on this one, but uh, I want to maybe start a new party. I do want to start a new party, and it would be the I Just Want to Lose Once party, suffering the humiliation of watching the representatives of the conservative party bail on the guy that I voted for and, uh, you know, run for, with fear, run for greed. And it's like, look, you guys, I'll campaign for the Demtards. I'll actually go out there and work for them to see you out. And at least I'll know who I'm working against because this business of, wow, I thought you were on my side. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a general direction. I don't agree with everything that, that Trump does, but there's a general direction that they're kind of failing to head in. And, uh, you know, they succumb to the mass media stuff and, and turn tail all the time. And it's like, look, you guys, you you might want to stand in sometimes and, uh, I don't know, take one for the team. I don't Trump stuff can be, 
here and there, and it can offend you now and then. But it's like I think in general he's got a good heart. I don't see him like I saw Obama kind of openly wrecking what I would call, uh, you know, American culture or American standards. I mean, he's kind of the party of we don't know if we have any standards, but we're pushing the limits every day. Um, it's like the they don't know when to stop. The left kind of – I wouldn't be as afraid if I thought there was a stopping point, you know, a point at which they'd say, all right, we've gone far enough and and we'll hold up here. We won't pull down that statue. But it just as an example. Um, well, but I think, you, you know, I – Phil, you you bring up you bring up a few points here and they're all really important and valid. And look, um, Donald Trump was not my candidate, but I would do anything to prevent Hillary Clinton from being president (laughs) in terms of voting. So I voted for Donald Trump. I've also been a guy who's criticized him. I've also been a guy Mm -hmm. who wanted him to be more presidential. I appreciate some of the things he's done, uh, some of the things he said. I want him to say more graciously, more artfully. Um, yeah. am, I, am I happy he's in the White House versus a Hillary Clinton presidency? Absolutely. I think we'd be in even more trouble if Hillary Clinton were president. Look, it's, it's August. There are still three years and five months left of this guy's presidency. Uh, Five months is an eternity in politics. What I see happening here is the internal struggle that's supposed to happen. What I see happening here is some of the establishment splitting from the president, and that's supposed to happen. Now, we're, we're seeing all of this without the varnish. We're seeing where in the past... Most of this would happen behind closed doors because Trump, I think, feeling that he was outnumbered, decided he wasn't going to put down Twitter. He was going to keep being Donald Trump. I I think he kept that as a final defense, because if he had been forced to do all of this the way previous presidents had been forced to do it, I think, yeah, I think he would have given up. And I do. I have a clip from the guy that co-wrote. Art of the deal, who predicted Trump would be out resigning by the end of the year. I don't think that's I, I, true. I, I've I've wondered that myself, and I, I I personally have been behind him the whole time, just because I thought I kind of like a guy who can stand up and flip off the camera with both hands and come back and do it the <laughs> next day. And uh, you know, he he like Hillary blew out of a sneaker and collapsed into a van, and that was only part way into it, and she wasn't even taking any hint. I mean, this woman, my daughter, who hates Trump, said, how will you explain to people you voted for a Trump? And I said, how will you explain that you voted for a criminal? And I mean, there's the history books may have said, and they elected a criminal. And the book Shattered really is, is a description of how close we came. It's like it was as close as maybe they should have listened to Bill. And I think they should be listening to him right now. I think he's been saying, hey, you guys calm down. And at this point, you know, God bless him, he looks sensible by comparison. But Shattered was a book that described how crazily close you can come to electing a corrupt criminal. And as my 21-year-old son says, I prefer my presidents to become corrupted after they're elected. (laughs) (laughs) And many do. (laughs) Sure. Many do. But see, Phil, this is... 
This is part of the greatest thing about this country. We can have this conversation. Can you imagine virtually any other country in the in the civilized world where you could have this conversation? You might have a little bit of it in England. You might have a tiny bit of it in, in Germany. But I don't think there are many other free countries where this kind of conversation happens. We, we run an Airbnb, and boy, don't say the name. I'll be boycotted till tomorrow. And, uh, but we have an Airbnb, and we meet people, regular working-class people from all over the world. And the people from Japan and India have been the most interesting in Israel, saying, first, wow, this is out of control. And second, uh, you got, we have, the, the people from Japan all say the same thing. At least in China, it's called state-run media. And the, the, the people from Israel have been relieved, and they love northern New Hampshire because it's so safe. Um, but by and large, the, the people who are own an accounting firm, are realtors, uh, th- these are just regular people who can afford to come visit northern New Hampshire. Man, they've been very supportive of seeing a stronger presence in the, in the United States. And uh, I know we're getting, you know, roundabout on the topics here, but um, when you mentioned this is a, one of the few places that you, you and I can speak like this, that's another thing that, the, that people from around the world have said to my wife and I, and uh, some Dutch people here right now are just going, geez, Christ, <laughs> you know, you guys, are, you guys are a mess. But they say it laughingly. You know, I, I mean, they, they got no stake in it, really. They don't think they do. Um, I think they may, maybe they might want to think twice, but... Uh, you know, all of them very agreeable, happy, and uh, mainly astounded. And, and the biggest comments definitely are, why isn't your media called state-run media? And uh, with few exceptions, very few, and then those few are vilified. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've heard negative comments about you, if you can believe it. I just about went up and smacked the guy, let me tell you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> I, what? But anyway. Were you at a family picnic? Is that where you heard that? Because that's typically where I get it. I was at a chamber players from New York City dinner where it'll be the last year I get invited, I think. Got right into it with them. They're from Brooklyn and Manhattan. And uh, and they wanted to throw down with me. I had said before I was going to vote for Trump, and they, they did the thing to me where they said, you're a racist if you won't say that you wouldn't vote for him again. You know, I, I needed to say that the other night at the party. It was that recently. And uh, and that was when they, you wouldn't vote for Trump again, would you? I said, yeah, I'd vote twice if I could. And uh, <laughs> so I was then, you know, a racist and everything else. And I, you know, I, I wasn't in the mood. I don't drink anymore, and it's a good thing. But they threw down first, and I finished it. So, you know. Well, I never want to hear about violence. I'd rather I'd rather the world be our verbal punching bag, Phil. That's that's the way I look at life. But you you know you have to be prepared and ready to protect yourself. And the people from New Hampshire are some of the most fascinating folks I've ever run into. You've got the Free State group up there, who I think are are some very clever people, and people who understand the operating manual, talking about the Constitution. And res- actually respect it. So I'm, I've I've met some very interesting and wonderful folks in my travels through the Northeast, and I I sure appreciate you being there. Look, I think I, I I've never been a fan of Bannon. 
I voted for Trump. I would have preferred Bannon not be given the access that he had. But now that he's out and now that I'm seeing a, uh, a reforming, a sort of a, a change in this White House, frankly, I feel better about it. Now we got to get through this other crap, this fake outrage over the over the statues and the monuments. But that's a different topic. I think this is the ground firming up under this administration. And we'll see. You know, there's still there's still a whole bunch more time to deal with. But I, I feel very confident going forward. And I, I hope you do, too. I will. I feel you know, I felt better. You, you've got a lot more experience than I do. I'm 58. But, you know, I didn't want to pay attention until my kids got in going through high school and college. And it was just, wow, this stuff is in my face. And I, I had to get involved just to kind of stave off a philosophy that I didn't agree with. And it, and it was kind of rugged. Um, but, uh, you know, in that last bit you said while I was on hold, I thought, okay, okay, you know, Opelka's got a better grip on the big picture than I do. And I, and I listened to, you know, anywhere from 8 to 14 hours of talk a day, and a lot of it will include Bierman and Stephanie Miller and uh, poor Dave Rubin until they boycott <laughs> him and kick him out for he was too neutral on Gutfeld. And it was like, oh, and I saw that show, and I was like, oh, dude, you better – you know, pop up and say you want to shoot Trump in the head point blank or, or you're not going to have your show anymore. <laughs> but, you know, the, the left requires a certain degree of outrage, and, and he definitely didn't hit that bar, and, and there's been some blowback. And, uh, but I listen, I listen to the lefties. I, I hit as many shows as I can. I, I love yours. I love Sexton's. Uh, you know, he's a, he'll, you know, kind of chill things down. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a good dude. I, yeah, he's he, a good he, dude. In real life, he's is he cool in real life? Yes, he is. He's the same guy. And uh, I've wow. stood next to him in the studio and I've stood next to him on the streets of New York. He's the same guy. There's no wow. there's no change. He's an honest and strong and smart guy. And uh, if if I were up against it and we were in trouble, that's the guy I'd want to be back to back with Buck Sexton, because I think we'd all come out of it. OK. And that's uh, I, you and, and it would be calm, too. There wouldn't be a lot of screaming. I'm up against a commercial break, Phil. I sure appreciate you. And I hope you'll uh, not knowing you're out there. I'll be able to say hello to our New Hampshire coalition. But thank you for joining the show today. Oh, you're entirely welcome, man. And thanks for the time. I appreciate it. It's been fun. You got it. And we'll be right back. Hang in there, Jamie. I want to talk to you, too. This is Pierre Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Here's the news of the day. Steve Bannon, gone. We predicted it Monday, so everybody calm down. Next Monday, the solar eclipse. (laughs) And uh, we'll have some tips from Dr. Rick Feinberg next hour on how you should deal with it. I got a note from one of you who said, you're, you're a little ADD today, Mike. You're distracted. You never told the rest of the Amy Schumer story. So I'm watching Judge Judy yesterday, 
And you always watch the audience on Judge Judy because there are people who've been in there all day long. They will shoot like 10 to 12 episodes in a day. They're 23 minutes to shoot, whatever. And they usually try and do it in real time. So over the course of an eight-hour day, they could get 10, 12, sometimes more episodes cut. And the audience doesn't change. You can watch them in there. And some of them fall asleep. So it's always fun to watch them falling asleep. But right there in the front row behind one of the, one of the plaintiffs or uh, behind the defendant was, uh, it looked like Amy Schumer. Some freezing the TV and taking pictures and tweeting it out and sending it to a friend of mine who is Amy Schumer's bodyguard going, was Amy Schumer on Judge Judy today? And I get a, a, a text back, yep. And then a couple other people started noticing it. And, of course, Twitter exploded with Amy Schumer. Now, Amy Schumer and I politically do not agree at all. Amy Schumer is a hypocrite when it comes to the Second Amendment. Amy Schumer doesn't want me to have a gun, but she wants her bodyguard to have a gun. So we disagree on that. And I think she was funny years ago. I don't think she's too much, too much comedy anymore, but we'll see. Everybody's career ebbs and flows. But there she was in the front row of Judge Judy in the crowd, in the courtroom crowd. And it turns out that she actually posted back in May that she and her sister had gone to see a Judge Judy taping. They were hanging out. They were hanging out with uh, the bailiff, Bird. By the way, he's got to have the best career ever. Judy took him out of the family court scene and gave him a job as the bailiff on that show, and I'm sure it's a union gig. And 20 years, he's got to now have a very healthy retirement, and I'm sure Judy got him paid as well. But Amy Schumer, Judge Judy fan. Judge Judy, one of the shows, I think, can unite us, those of us who disagree politically with others. I have neighbors here in the, in the village, which has a lot of communists and anarchists in it. And they all watch Judge Judy, too. Maybe Judge Judy can unite us. Maybe Judge Judy for president. Wouldn't that be fun? Well, a boy can dream. Come on back. Third hour, just around the corner. This is Pure Pelka with Micah Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka only on the Blaze Radio Network. Oh, happy Friday, everybody. <laughs> happy Friday, indeed. It is uh, a breaking news Friday if you're just waking up from a nap. Steve Bannon's gone. Bannon is gone. I'm not going to sing. I know. But he's gone. Steve Bannon, he's gone. Uh, and uh, one of the uh, Breitbart editors has tweeted, hashtag war. Now, what is that supposed to mean? That just, come on. Come on, people. What about the good of the country? And there are so many of our liberal friends who are doing the happy dance. And I always caution everybody, be careful, be careful celebrating this because the departure of Steve Bannon 
could be your worst nightmare. If this White House gets on its feet and starts moving and grooving, uh, it's not going to be fun for liberals and progressives. So I'm just saying that to be careful what you wish for people, which is what I always say to people on the left when they say, oh, just wait till we get Trump out of there. And I said, yes, President Pence. And then all the blood goes out of their out of their head and out of their face. Like, no, no. I said, yeah, be careful what you wish for, Kiko. You just might get it. So uh, this this is an interesting Friday. And I, I'm telling you, the difference between yesterday and today, the difference between yesterday's wall-to-wall coverage of a deadly terror attack is, is an interesting contrast to me when we now watch wall-to-wall coverage of the removal of a White House chief strategist. Is this really as big as international terrorism, CNN? MSNBC, is this really that big? Shouldn't we be talking about the the threat of radical Islamic terrorism? This should be, in my opinion, this is a 10-minute story over the course of an hour. A couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. And then you go back to the big story. Is this unfolding gigantic terror cell, apparently, in Spain? that was energized all on the same day. I don't get it. I really, I really don't get it. I know that, that this is, this is all about creating a soap opera atmosphere in the mainstream media. So Bannon's gone, done, move on, next story. At least we have $530 million plus in the Powerball. Do you have a ticket for the Powerball? There's a Mega Millions drawing tonight, but it's a mere pittance. I think it's $20 million. If I won either, Saturday morning, tomorrow morning, there will be a replay on Pure Opelka. There will be something else in my place. Either one. A $20 million jackpot? Yes, you could retire on $20 million, couldn't you? $530 million, I could have some fun. And I've already pledged uh, the Duchess, one of our one of our uh, loyal listeners here on the Blaze Radio Network. The Duchess asked if I would make a donation to a school. Yes, of course I would, but I want a classroom named after me. I I do. I want a classroom with my, and it'll probably be the AV Club. I understand that, but why not? Maybe it'll be the studio at the campus radio station. But just a just a dream. What would you do? What would you do if you scored the one winning ticket in a five hundred and thirty million dollar lottery? I was re- reading the paper today, and uh, the the most expensive home in in New York, setting a record in New York. This is in the Hamptons, of course. A sprawling Southampton mansion set a standard for real estate excess, hitting the market at $175 million. 20,000 square feet. 
This estate is at 90 Jewel Pond Drive. It originally was built for Henry Ford II, and it is on 42 acres of land and boasts the largest ocean frontage in the Hamptons. It's massive. It's got almost a quarter of a mile of oceanfront beach in the Hamptons. That's out on, out on the Long Island. The South Hampton is the town. You can see it. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful estate. Now, here's the thing. If you buy waterfront property in New York, you don't own the beach. Waterfront property in New York the way New York State runs. So if you're going to spend $175 million on 42 acres with a quarter mile of beachfront, anybody and their dog can walk on that beach and you can do nothing to stop them. So I'll tell you what I'm not buying if I win $530 million in the Powerball. I'm not buying a house on the Hamptons. Absolutely not. Been there, done that. Not that house. We had a tiny house in the Hamptons years ago. But there's only really only one way out of the Hamptons. There's only one way to get out if you're if you're on on the roads. And that's west. If you have to get out of the Hamptons, you better have your own helicopter or your own ferry. And if you do, if you do have enough scratch to buy a hundred and seventy five million dollar Hamptons mansion. I would expect you'd probably have enough money to have your own ferry or your own boat to get the hell out of there. I would hope so. Oh, by the way, yesterday we did a story on this show. We talked about a New York State worker, a guy who was part of the court system, a guy who was um, openly scamming the system, a guy who was not showing up for work. He would show up for work about one or two days a week in the last 18 months. He bragged about it to a newspaper reporter. And then he butt-dialed the same reporter while he was sitting talking to a friend. And the subsequent voicemail message he left was a horrific indictment of what this guy was doing. Well, all of you who followed that story yesterday was on TheBlaze.com yesterday. Here's an update to that story. His butt got fired yesterday. He got thrown out of his job. Now, because New York has a New York has a law that they they um, put in place in 2011. If you are caught defrauding your employer, meaning the state of New York, you can lose your pension. This guy started working for the state of New York about 20. He started working 19 years ago. Here's the problem with the law. His pension is protected. He won't be dinged on that. He should be dinged on that. But the the law, they couldn't get the law through without without having to uh, to have everybody protest because you got a bunch of people been gaming the system. And now New York has a a pension system that is horribly un- underfunded. It's teetering on insolvency. And you got guys like this jack wagon who've been milking the system for years just to get to his 20th anniversary. And now he'll cash out at over a hundred grand a year, despite the fact that for 18 months, he's been pretty much doing nothing. I know it's sickening, but that's, that's the update to the story. At least 
at least he got his butt thrown out. So just know your outrage helped. Now, um, there's, um, there's an interesting story I wanted to share with you. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, you know who she is, Saturday Night Live actress who went on to Seinfeld, who went on to pretty good success in television with uh, the show Veep. Julia Louis-Dreyfus was on with um, James Corden, the Late Late Show on CBS. He's the guy who does the carpool karaoke. And she told a story last night about her name showing up in Hillary Clinton's emails. And it's kind of a, a fascinating story, which has a little bit of an embarrassing ending for her. But I think it's more embarrassing for Hillary Clinton. I'll let her explain. When all of her emails and stuff came out, the email scandal, yes. you were involved in this. Yes, I feel sort of responsible. Well, what happened <laughs> was... Um, what happened was this, uh, somebody who worked on Veep also worked with Hillary Clinton and, and did her makeup. And so um, my, my friends in the makeup department, as a gift, they gave me a, uh, a note from Hillary Clinton when she was back when she was Secretary of State. And it said, you know, dear Julia, uh, I hope you get uh, job reform and education reform and et cetera, et cetera, as Veep, best wishes, Hillary Rodham Clinton. So, of course, I was thrilled to get yeah. this. Kind of a cool thing to get, right? Secretary of State, sitting Secretary of State at the time, looking like a probable presidential candidate. That would be a cool letter to have, especially if you're the actress playing the vice president. Now, the story gets a little stranger. And I had it framed in my house. And then about two years later, the emails all sort of started flooding out. And somebody tweeted to me an email that Hillary Clinton sent to a staffer that said, a friend of mine needs me to write something for Julie Dreyfus. <laughs> uh, any idea what to say? She's on some show. And so he writes back, it's called Veep. I will admit, I have not seen it, but I did research. <laughs> oh, 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 so you can see she was up to no good. Oh. So, uh, so anyway, but it's very, I mean, actually, to be honest with you, I was thrilled to have it. So now I have the email printed next to the slip. Oh. <laughs> that's, uh, that's actually a story I, I love, and I appreciate Julia Louis-Dreyfus, despite the fact that she's probably a flaming liberal. I appreciate her sharing it. I love the fact that Hillary Clinton didn't know who Julie Dreyfus was, and the guy she was asking didn't know who Julie Dreyfus was. <laughs> Wonderful story. When we get back, we have to walk down a little bit of history. And uh, there's a, an interesting fact about this date in history, Hitler and his eugenics program. Yeah, this was the day he ended it. Or did he? Come on back. I'll explain. You're listening to Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. If you're keeping track, it's only been two hours and ten minutes since CNN covered a story other than Steve Bannon's termination. Not that there's anything else going on in the world, but they finally did. And what did they cover? The mother of the young girl, Heather Heyer, who was killed tragically last weekend in Charlotte, the mother won't talk to the president. Okay, good. Now back to more Bannon. Oh, this is why this is why we get so frustrated with the mainstream media. This is why we all get a little bit crazy, I think. I know we're not supposed to use the word crazy. Today in history, today in history is an interesting an interesting little day. There's a whole bunch that happened on this day, the 18th of August. If you go back in history, one of the more interesting things in history is the story of Adolf Hitler suspending his euthanasia program in 1941. Hitler learned from Margaret Sanger about getting rid of undesirables. Hitler modeled some of his programs for eliminating the weak links in the Aryan chain on the work that Margaret Sanger was trying to get done in America. In 1939, Hitler put uh, Dr. Victor Brock in charge of the euthanasia department. They had a program that they called the T4 program. It was, it was a program that killed children that were deemed mentally defective. Children were sent from all over Germany to a special psychiatric youth department that evaluated them and then killed those they deemed undesirable, and there were a bunch of them. Certain criteria were established for kids that were not Jewish. They had to be certified mentally ill, schizophrenic, or unable to work for one reason or another. The Jewish children were already shoved into hospitals because, well, you know why. It was Hitler. They killed these kids. I want you to think about this. They killed these kids either by injecting them with poisons or leading them to showers, the typical Nazi method of killing large numbers of humans. Kids were led to showers where gas was pumped in through the water pipes. This program tested on kids then began to expand into killing adults. News got out and this... uh, this systematic elimination of children that were deemed mentally defective, and of course they would also take care of those physically not able to do things. News got out, and some of the doctors actually stood up and and defied Hitler, and some of the clergy started talking about it. They wrote letters to Hitler. They talked publicly about it, calling this barbaric. Eventually... Hitler decided, well, you know, we need to stop this. But they didn't really stop it. They announced that the euthanasia program would would stop. Hitler did this after Bishop Count Clemens von Gallen talked about it from the pulpit. A brave man. 
Hitler said, I, I don't need this. I don't need all this bad press. He ordered the program suspended. But guess what? It was never really suspended. They just transferred it to Poland. By then, 50,000 people had already been killed, been eliminated, been expunged from the population. The Nazis thought this would make the race pure, getting rid of kids that were considered to be mentally unstable or defective or physically defective, that the population would be forever cleansed. And the same thing they thought of getting rid of the Jews. As we all know, as, as you wish Iceland would have paid attention to, you can't just kill people and then stop aberrations happening in reproduction because we're not perfect. And the combination of, of two people who create a child are never going to be perfect and you're never going to get the same results. But the scary thing here is that Hitler told everybody he was stopping because he didn't like the PR, the press he was getting. But he never really stopped it. As I said, 50,000 children, mostly children, had been killed, expunged, wiped out, removed from the gene pool. And they didn't stop it. They just moved it somewhere else where they didn't think anyone, anyone would see it or hear about it. Keep an eye out for stuff like this. Anytime the government stops doing something, whether it's here or in another one of these evil countries, I always wonder if they're really stopping it or if they're doing it somewhere else. Watch what the other hand is doing. And if we're going to take down a statue because someone didn't respect a race or a life, I suggest we start with Margaret Sanger. Not a bad place to begin, is it? Let's put it somewhere that we never forget. Don't destroy it. Keep it. Teach the lessons of history. We'll be right back with our friend Emily Zanotti next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Puro Pelka on a uh, Friday that has been full of surprises and yet not surprising. At the same time, we've we've come to expect this. Whenever we get ready to do this show, something happens. And we're happy to react to it. That's what I love about the ability to to be live every single day and I appreciate the fact that so many of you join the show, join in the conversation, take part in the conversation. And uh, one of my favorite people who calls into this show regularly is uh, 
Somebody who has uh, one of the more entertaining descriptions of herself on the Twitter. I don't know if you follow Emily Zanotti at E.M. Zanotti. She calls herself a writer, crafter, politico nerd. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think she's right on all of that. And all of that is fabulous. Uh, She's also um, an unlikely World War II historian, although I don't know about that unlikely and uh, a libertarian we we've known each other for oh golly bob howdy more than five years now which is kind of frightening time is moving too quickly but uh, emily joins us again and you're you're someplace new these days aren't you yeah so uh, i left heath street about a month ago well heath street kind of left me actually uh, and I am now working as a senior editor at the Daily Wire. So I work with Ben Shapiro and I uh, work on that site every day. And it's been amazing this week so far, but it's only my fourth day of work. So, and it's already been crazy. So Yeah, what a, what a week to jump into this. And, and now, as you are a Chicagoan from Chicagoland, um, what do you make of all the madness in your area about changing the names of the parks and taking down the statues, and somebody tried to torch a, a statue of Lincoln yesterday in Chicago? So we're not exactly the best with our history in Chicago, I have to say. <laughs> like, um, we, we, I think people just used it as an excuse to commit vandalism on pretty much any statue, uh, Lincoln, actually, apparently, we just discovered that he was torched, but he's been torched since July 4th. So whatever poor Abe did to somebody on July 4th, which is a terribly ironic day for him to have been burned, uh, he he uh, his face was melted, and they just discovered him, though, this week. So there's been an outcry. But on the other hand, we waited less than 24 hours after the president said, you know, are they going to go after Washington and Jackson next? And everyone was like, no, 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 we're not going to go after the founders of this country. But of course, Chicago, we had to be the people who proved the president right. And we immediately had a petition from a pastor on the south side to rename Washington Park and Jackson Park because both of those founders and presidents were slaveholders. Of course, this is proceeding through Chicago, and we're taking it seriously because we're an insane city, uh, and it's <laughs> it remains remains to be seen, I guess. Well, this pastor, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's a member of a, a church that practices liberation theology, the same stuff Jeremiah right. Wright practiced. Is that correct? Yeah. It's no secret as to why these kinds of uh, things are popping up. And it it is largely because of this faction, like Reverend Jeremiah Wright, who Barack Obama certainly sat through more than just a few of his sermons. And he's well known for saying things like, God damn America, and calling for the eradication of all of these statues and an eradication of the Constitution because it no longer fits with a sort of social justice worldview. So that's exactly where this is coming from. It's coming from the liberation theology from the South side and, and a very, very deeply liberal idea and certainly tied in with some of the uh, more fascinating characters in Barack Obama's past. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm as a son of the South side from 82nd and Southwestern, I'm, 
I'm embarrassed at what my my former city is doing, and it, it frightens me. But you were tweeting about a couple of other vandal uh, vandalized statues around the country, and again, nothing to do with founders. Uh, one to do with right. an explorer, but nothing to do with founders. What the hell is going on? So these are nothing to do with the Confederacy. Certainly, a lot of people have been trying to say, well, this is contained to the Confederacy. Certainly, the Confederates were the losers of the Civil War, so why would we erect monuments to losers? A lot of these monuments were erected later in the 20th century, some of them as as far away from the Civil War as the 1960s. And they, they swore up and down that they were not going to take down any other statues, but today... Uh, a statue of St. Junipero Serra in, in California was actually defaced, which is, he is a saint in the Catholic tradition who went out to California, went out to the Baja California area, built, I believe, 21 mission churches, converted mm. Native Americans, converted Mexicans, converted lots of people out there um, to the degree that actually... Mexican culture in California has become essentially a Catholic culture. He was defaced this morning. Also, a statue of Christopher Columbus in Houston was defaced. And both of them, I believe, had the words murderer spray painted on them. So certainly these people who are calling for pulling down Confederate statues are not interested in stopping simply at Confederate generals. They want everybody to whom they object pulled down, destroyed, defaced, you name it. This, em, Emily, this, you know, we're, we're generations apart, you and I, and yet I, I think we both share the same concern that the erasing of history is one of the more chilling things uh, that, that we're seeing happening today. And mm -hmm. popular opinion is saying 60-plus percent want those Confederate monuments to remain up uh, how how is it in your mind that we're letting this tiny minority take the narrative and change everything and want to change everything about our country? How is this happening? I think they've seized upon a moment. Certainly, there's a lot of sentiment in the United States that we don't want to give in to white supremacists. We don't want to allow white supremacists to win. And part and parcel of that is these Confederate monuments, the, it, the events that happened in Charlottesville started with ostensibly, although I, I don't think this is probably logically true, uh, ostensibly with a protest to keep up a statue of Robert E. Lee that was in Charlottesville, Virginia. So people believe that this is sort of at the core of what the alt-right or the white supremacists are doing, that this is driving their ideology. I think if you take a step back, you'll realize that even if the Confederate monuments were not involved here, I think these marches would still happen. They, they feel empowered. They feel like they have their moment right now, so they're going to march. I, but also people on the side who have always wanted these monuments taken down have also seized their moment. There's a lot of American sentiment that we don't want these kinds of conflicts. We don't want racial conflicts. And if taking down these Confederate monuments prevents that, then we should do it. But the problem is that it's all hindsight. We look at the Confederate monuments in hindsight and we say these are wrong. But other people look at Washington and Jefferson and Jackson and St. Junipero Serra and Christopher Columbus and pretty much anybody and say those guys were wrong. So there's no – this is one case where the uh, the 
slippery slope argument, if you will, does sort of become very real very quickly. And you're absolutely right. And it's becoming very real very quickly in front of our eyes. I remarked earlier, and I don't know if you remember this, from maybe six months ago when we started seeing on some of the college campuses black union black student unions asking for black dormitories black mm-hmm. uh black commencement ceremonies black only studies courses where whites would not be allowed to enter the classrooms and the arguments we're hearing today are we have to take down the statues of the slave owners the segregationists and yet these are the people who are crying out to be resegregated and the the the, the conflict there, the irony there is not lost on me. And I just wonder where, where does, when does the adult show up and just start saying, no, we're not doing this? Yeah. No. Yeah. You look at, I posted a quote yesterday kind of asking for opinions, but there's a quote from George Orwell's 1984 where they say, he says that everything in the, in the party and in, in the civilization that existed in the totalitarianism state totalitarian state 1984 everything had been painted over all of the statues had been taken down all of history had been erased and the only thing that was applicable was history in the here and now and if you you never asked about what happened in the past you never asked about what was going to happen in the future there's something to be said for the totalitarian nature of people coming around and and throwing tantrums and dictating that this be the way that they believe it should be it's going to be hard. We have a lot of conflict at the top levels of government as to who's in charge and who's an adult and will they act like an adult and say this is just not going to happen. I don't, I don't know. Perhaps we'll give it a couple of weeks and it'll blow over, but I, I, I don't really know. This is an interesting and, and novel conflict we're handling right uh, now. It's an infuriating novel and interesting conflict. Her name is mm-hmm. Emily Zanotti. You've heard her on this show before. She's now working with uh, Ben Shapiro and the folks at the dailywire.com. Um, have you, do you remember, uh, speaking of Ben's, was it Ben Affleck who was on the PBS show that chased his roots and they found one of his ancestors, uh, a grandfather, a great, a great, great grandfather was a slave owner. And he asked mm-hmm. them if they could take that out of the show. Yeah. I found that to be a fascinating little bit of irony as well. And uh, I hope none of us forget that the left is all about changing their own history, not just changing mm-hmm. ours. And we, yeah, we address the Anderson- generals and segregationists and particularly I tweeted something yesterday there are I believe 96 monuments to Robert Byrd in West Virginia who mm-hmm. was very high up in the KKK and if we're going to start taking down monuments of segregationists there are quite a few monuments of prominent historical Democrats that need to come crashing down as well so I, I I'm wondering if, if they're going to think about that critically <laughs> I hope so. I, I believe I'm guessing not, but I, I well, so. we need to keep reminding them. I believe your tweet said, get to work, West Virginia. And I, I agree <laughs> with you, Emily. I'm up against the wall. Come back again and we'll talk about your book because people are bugging me Absolutely. about when your book's coming out. So you'll be hopefully you'll be back. But I really appreciate you. Thank you, my friend.
Thank you so much. We'll be right back on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. My friend Megan did what I have been telling so many of you to do. Megan tried Relief Factor and had a very wonderful result. Right, Megan? I've been using Relief Factor for a little bit over a month. It's a 34-year-old woman that has been in a car accident. I suffered from severe neck pain, shooting pain down my arms and legs that would often cause me to limp. At one point, I was going to a chiropractor and an acupuncturist six times a week. I noticed visible improvement within two days of taking your product, Relief Factor, and it has really, truly changed my life. And it changed mine, too. Relief Factor has helped me get back to being active. It's a 100% natural combination of botanicals and wild-harvested fish oil. Doctor-created and formulated, tested for years. Over a million of the three-week Quick Start packs have been sold And people who buy it, 80% of them buy it again. What does that tell you? Relief Factor works for me. I take it three times a day. The uh, Quick Start Pack, $19.95. Cheaper than a cup of coffee every day. Go to relieffactor.com and check it out. Or pick up the phone and call them and ask a couple of questions. 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. It is Relief Factor. Boy, there's so much that happened today. I'm very appreciative of Billy Hollowell for stopping by from Faithwire and sharing some interesting stories with us. I love the story of how they get the Bible verses into North Korea, transported the old-fashioned way with balloons. I love that. Helium balloons delivering the word. And Emily Zanotti, now at uh, DailyWire.com, checking in. We have so much to talk about. I just have so much fun with Emily all the time. I need to I need to move some of the stories to tomorrow. I didn't get to plum cots. Plum cots. It's a plum and an apricot hybrid. I have to tell you, I first looked at the packaging and I went, what is this, frankenfruit? What the hell is it? But it's really good. And I also didn't get to play you the um the word from uh from uh the uh the eclipse specialist. And uh, we're going to have him back on the show for tomorrow. We'll have Dr. Rick Feinberg. Tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Dr. Rick Feinberg gives us some tips on dealing with the eclipse. It's not like it's here tomorrow. So relax. We'll get to it. What an interesting Friday. I can't wait to see what tomorrow brings. Testudo, my friends. Testudo. And Steve Bannon, see you. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
The Blaze Radio Network. On demand.